Welcome to Inspire Church's podcast. We're excited you're listening. Our hope is to inspire you to grow in God's Word, to grow more in love with Christ, and to go be a light wherever you are. To find more teachings or donate to the ministry, visit us at inspirechurches.com. We are in the a middle of a series called By Faith Alone, the greatest letter ever written, and we are looking at a letter that was written by Paul to the Romans. And if this is your first time here, I just want to say welcome. We are so glad that you are here joining us. And after hearing the, this message, if you want to kind of get caught up, you can always go to the podcasts um, and be able to kind of see where we are at, because I believe this is like installment number seven or eight. I can't remember at this point, um, but we are very excited um, as we are going through the book of Romans and, and what it is the Lord has been showing us. So let's just go ahead and let's turn now to Romans chapter three. And uh, if you don't have your phone, your Bible with you, or if you don't have a Bible app on your phone, we're going to have the uh, verses on the screen, and you can just follow along. But Romans chapter 3, and we're going to start in verse 21, and it says this, but now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. The righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference. Somebody say no difference. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. There is no difference. No difference between Christian and non-Christian, atheist and believer. There is no difference between the drug addict and the one that's never touched drugs. There is no difference. No difference. No difference between skin color or ethnicity. There is no difference between your religious status, how many verses you have memorized, how many Sundays you've shown up on a church, or maybe this is your first time ever coming. There is no difference because all have sinned. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned, you see. And we are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Where then is this boasting? Is it excluded? On what principle? On that, oh, on that observing law? No, but on that of faith. Verse 28, for we maintain that a man justified by faith apart from observing the law. There it is. A justified by faith apart from observing law by faith alone. It is God, the God of Jews only. Is he not the God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too. Since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through the same faith. Do we, do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. Rather, we uphold the law. Every week we're saying that the Bible compromises a single story of what's wrong with the human race in this world and what God has done to put it right in Jesus Christ and as a result, how history will turn out. 
And here in these verses, we actually have the heart of the heart of Paul's message about what God has done to put the world right in Jesus Christ. In fact, this might be the most important passage in the book of Romans. In fact, some scholars say this, look what Martin Luther said. He said, it's the chief point and the very central place of the epistle and the whole of the Bible. Leon Morris says this, it's possibly the most important single paragraph ever written. So in other words, let's pay attention. Let's lean in because this, what, what, what we are reading today is vital for all of us. The last few weeks, Phil has done an incredible job. See, up to this point, Paul, um, who the Holy Spirit used to write this letter, has labored in trying to get us to understand sin and, and the state that we were in. And in the, fa- in the past few weeks, you might say, man, I kind of feel a little overwhelmed, maybe a little beat up, right? Everywhere I turn, I find more guilt and corruption. And I look at my bad deeds and see that they're full of sin and rebellion. But, but then I look at my good deeds and see that they're full of pride and selfishness and competitiveness and jealousy. So either way, I feel like, man, I'm done for, right? I mean, there's no real good in me. There's nothing I can do to just save myself. Some of you these last few Sundays might felt a little hopeless. And this is why heaven is not made for good people. Because if that's the case, none of us would go there because even our good deeds are distorted by sin, right? And Paul, I mean, these last chapters, all the way up till this point, he's really been given to us. I mean, he's been beating us up. He's been showing us, right? He's been saying, you hypocrites and sinners and evil and full of pride and wrongdoing and selfishness. And I mean, I could just hear it. We're just saying, ouch, ouch, ouch. Every time we kind of go through it. It reminds me of a friend one time I asked, I said, hey, listen, you're in shape. Do you think you can come by and maybe like, you know, be a little personal trainer kind of thing, kind of help me get in shape, little boot camp. He's like, yeah, I got you. No worry, no worry, bro. So he showed up and, and uh, I was like, good morning. He's like, good morning. And, and he's like, hey, go, we're going to get started. We're just going to do some stretches. So I did some stretches or whatever. And then uh, he goes, okay, we're, gonna, we're just going to do some running today. Not that much, just some running. So, okay, cool. So I started doing a little running, right? It was more like, you know, kind of skipping, but you know, whatever. It was, I, it was my version of running, right? And then he comes along and all of a sudden he turns from friend to like drill sergeant. And he starts saying, oh, look at you, you poor, pathetic excuse for a human being. You look like you just ate three donut shops. Look at all that flap and fat walking around here. I seen you run faster after ice cream, man, right? And I'm just like, oh man. I mean, it was just, it just, it felt so just hurtful. And I'm just like, oh, I felt so beat up. And after that, I went home and ate three boxes of Oreos. And I was just like, you know, (laughs) right? (laughs) And some of us might have been feeling that way just a little bit these last few weeks because Paul is trying to get us to understand the condition that we were in before Christ. And then all of a sudden, things begin to turn and there's light at the end of the tunnel. And we hear these words in verse 21, but now, but now. See, Christianity alone says that God prepares perfect righteousness record through Jesus Christ and gives it to you. Do you catch that? He prepares the righteous record, this perfect record, and then hands it to you. And so you're not saved by performance. You're saved by faith and that's received by grace. But what is that faith? I mean, this whole series is called by faith. But what does that mean? 
See, that faith and what we're told here in verse 24 and 25 is it's not just a general faith that connects you to God, but it is faith in his blood. It is faith in the blood of Jesus Christ, in his blood. Somebody say blood. blood. Well, that wasn't very good. Say blood. blood. See, I know that we don't talk about the blood that much in church anymore, but I grew up in the old school Pentecostal church where that's all they did was talk about blood. I mean, it was just a bloody mess, the whole thing. It wasn't, you know, we, we, we weren't scared to talk about the blood. We had songs. Have you been to Jesus for his cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the lamb? Are you trusting in Jesus to this very hour? Are you washed in the blood of the lamb? What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus, right? Oh, how precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus, the blood. But what does that mean? What does that mean? What does that represent? It's obviously critical. It's at the heart of the heart of what God did to put things right. And to understand what that means, Paul actually gives us three words that we are going to unpack. Two of these three are in, are, are in the English version and, and one is not. And we're gonna look at this and the three words are this, redemption, propitiation, and demonstration. Redemption, propitiation, and demonstration, three words. And we can actually look at this another way. We can look at it like this. We're told here what we need, what he does, and what does it mean for us? What we need, what he does, and what does it mean for us? So let's start with number one, what we need. What we need is redemption. We, see, we can only be justified through redemption, which is in Jesus Christ. This word redemption is, is an English transla translation of, of a Greek word, um, and, and it means really to redeem, to redeem. So what is to redeem mean? It means to buy something back. It means to liberate through a purchase. See, the, 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 the background of the biblical word lies in the fact that in ancient times, there was no such thing as bankruptcy law. There was no such thing as declaring bankruptcy. So if you owed creditors more than you can pay them, you actually lost your freedom. First, you lost your land. And, and then after that, you lost your freedom. And you became a slave to that creditor and, and you had to work off what you owed. And so you, until that person is paid back and it could easily be, and oftentimes it was for years and years and some people would die before they paid them back. Therefore you lost your freedom. See, and, and because this happened actually in the book of Leviticus chapter uh, 25 and verse 25, um, because we knew people would get into poverty and things would go wrong and there were famines and mistakes and people would get into this enormous debt and they'd lose their freedom. In Leviticus 25, 25, it says this, that we have to make a provision. There has to be a provision for this. And the provision is what the Hebrew text calls a goal. Now, because people fall into poverty, they're gonna fall into slavery. This slavery means, of course, indebtedness, right? But then there could be what, the, what they call these goals, uh, or in other words, a kinsman redeemer. And this kinsman redeemer, uh, there, there were certain things that, that this kinsman redeemer could do to help get a person out of debt. Are you guys following me so far? Great. Uh, but there were some characteristics that this kinsman redeemer had to have in order to get this person out of debt. 
There were three of them. One, they had to be a relative. Had to be somebody by blood or by marriage, but it had to be a relative. Second, it had to be a person that did not act out of compulsion, but out of love. This person had to do it voluntarily, freely. And number three, the kinsman redeemer had to buy that person's liberty, that person's freedom by, 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 by uh, taking the cost on themselves, by bearing the cost and taking the debt on themselves. And if a kinsman redeemer did these three things, then they could get a family member or uh, someone that they're married to or whatever out of debt. And therefore, because of poverty, because of indebtedness, because this happens, there was this provision in the Mosaic law for kinsman redeemers. But here we have Paul saying that we all need redemption. Here Paul is saying, listen, we're all slaves. We all need to be redeemed. The whole human race needs redemption. And that must mean something at a higher level here. For Paul to say that we all need redemption means we're all in slavery, that we are all spiritually slaves. Well, what does he mean by that? Because do you feel like a spiritual slave? Well, what, what, I mean, why do we need redemption? What from? What does what, what this slavery consist of? Well, there's at least two things that we need to keep in mind to understand what the blood of Christ actually accomplishes. One reason that we need redemption is that we are enslaved to guilt and shame and the law. We are enslaved to the idea that we're not measuring up. So all of us in some way, we feel inadequate in some area. We feel guilty. We feel like we're not measuring up to certain standards. And, and we live in a culture, especially here in the Bay Area, that doesn't have this concept of guilt or even a category for it. We, we intellectually tell ourselves that there's no right or wrong except for what I say is right and wrong, right? And, and yet we can't shake the fact that we feel this sense of shame or condemnation, that we're not adequate. I mean, we're nowhere close to where we ought to be. So what he is saying is we feel like sinners, even though we don't have this sort of category of sinner, right? Even though in, in the Bay Area, especially, we, we say, no, 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 you know, don't, don't, feel, don't feel shame, don't feel guilty. And yet we're driven by it anyway, aren't we? We're driven by it. We're workaholics. We're obsessed with how we look. We're riddled with anxiety. We're all upset. We can't take criticism, <laughs> right? We're always having to prove ourselves. We have the same problem because we're human beings and we know that there is something wrong with us. There's something wrong, right? We're, we're enslaved to guilt and to shame. And, we just, and we're trying to figure out where is this coming from? This guy named uh, Andrew Delabanco in one of his books commented on an incident uh, in Walker Percy's novel called Love in the Ruins. And he wrote something like this. He says this, Max's psychiatrist for whom pleasure without guilt is the essence of happy entitlement life says this, hey, we are modern people. We realize that you have to decide what's right or wrong with you. So you should never feel guilty. You should never let the other person's standards oppress you. But Max has a patient named Tom who had just had an affair. He's having trouble understanding Tom because Tom says something like this. Look, I had an affair, but I don't feel guilty about the affair I had. But I'm still troubled. 
And so at once, uh, at one point, Max, uh, Max's psychiatrist says something like, well, then what are you worried about? I mean, if you don't feel guilty, then what worries you? And he says, that's what worries me. What worries me is I don't feel guilty, but somewhere inside my mind, I, I think I should. I think I should. And he says, wait a minute. I mean, if, there, if there's no guilt, his psychiatrist says, if you don't have any guilt, then what's the problem? And Tom says, it means this. It means you don't have any life in you. Delbanco goes on to comment and says, what, psychiatrists don't, what, what the psychiatrist does not understand is that the guilt he no longer feels had been his last reassurance that there existed something in the world that transcended him. But see, if we're honest, we know that there's such thing as meaning, don't we? We know that there are some things that are just right and wrong. We know that there's a way that we need to live and therefore we're guilty. We're enslaved to guilt and shame and inadequacy and it drives us, it drives us. But that's not all. That's not all. See, there's another thing that we need to be redeemed of. And it's not just the law. It's not just guilt and shame from the need to live up to these standards, but we also need to be redeemed and liberated by what the Bible calls false masters. False masters. See, if you, and, and we all do, if you feel the need to prove yourself because you have this sense of being, you know, a sinner. And then we turn to things like our job or we turn to academia. Some of us are, are you know, trying to be really good students. Some of us are, you know, want to be professors and, some, and try to be scholars. Some of us go into a career. Some of us are thinking about how we're going to make money. We go, we go into, we have professional successes. Some of us go into relationships and we say, well, if this person loves me or if I have a family, Right. And we begin to go to these sort of false masters, these false masters. You say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. How do, how do I know whether or not my family or my career or my school is, a, is my slave master and not just my family, my career, my education, right? How do I know? Well, the answer is this. You can't say no to them. See, they're your slave masters. You can't, you can't stop them. If you're enslaved in a relationship, that means you can't say no. You can't walk away. You, you, you have to have them. They're, they're your significance. They're your identity. They're your security. They're your very self. Same thing with making money. Same thing with your career. This isn't just a job. This isn't just you making money. This isn't just having an education or getting a degree, right? But, 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 but these things, you can't say no to. They drive you. And if you don't have them, then you feel like you're nothing. You beat yourself up. You feel less than you see. Yeah. And, and it's this hard thing. You begin to self-loathing and, 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 these, and these false masters begin to beat you into what they want you to be. And you're enslaved in them. What do we need to be redeemed by? Guilt and shame of the law and these false masters that we set up in order to cover our shame and shield us from that sense that we're not where we ought to be. We need redemption. We need redemption. Remember, redeem, to be redeemed means to buy something back, to bring it back from destruction or to restore it. Now, I know that we don't use that word redeem a lot. I was trying to think of where do we kind of use that word today? And uh, how many of you guys ever watched the movie Dumb and Dumber? Anybody watch the movie Dumb and Dumber? Raise your hand so I can know you're out there. Okay, great. <clears throat> There's a lot of you that need to go look at that movie. Um, 
But for those of you who, who know this movie, you'll remember this scene very well because uh, what happens is Harry, Harry and Lloyd are about to go on this road trip and they have a van um, and they're like, hey, let's get in the van. We're going to go on this road trip. But then Lloyd actually says, well, I'll be right back. He goes into something. And when he comes back, he, he actually traded their van for a moped, right? For their cost country journey. And Harry says this, he says, Lloyd, just when I think you couldn't possibly do anything dumber, you totally go and redeem yourself. <laughs> redeem, redeem. People use that word redeem to buy something back, right? Like at a pawn shop, you can go and be redeemed. Or like with a coupon, you're, you're going to get re and redeemed. It's a transaction. You see, that's what we need. We need to be redeemed. So now that we know what we need and God says, hey, I know that you need to be redeemed. So what does he do about it? Number two, what he does, which is propitiation. But by the way, can I just say this? Everything I told you about redemption, that God wants to save you, that God wants to redeem you from your false masters, from being enslaved, from the things we do, from guilt and shame, everybody in our modern Western Bay Area society, everybody loves that part. They all love that part. They think that point is great. You love that point. No matter who you are, they say, yep, that point I like. Point number one, that's a good point, Pastor Roger. But point number two most people in our Bay Area, Western culture, civilization, not going to like so much. See? And point two, in fact, point two, people hate. People hate. Because of the thing that God does to affect the redemption is he presents him as a sacrifice of atonement. Of atonement. And, there, and these are actually three words, but they're actually translated from one word, and this one word actually means propitiation. It means to turn away wrath by appeasing or satisfying anger. Propitiation means to turn away wrath by appeasing or satisfying anger. The word propitiation means that the Lord pays the debt to justice himself. Pays the debt to justice. There are three things I just said. Pays the debt to justice himself. And here's the place where modern folks like you and I, we get really, really, really freaked out about it. We, we, we don't like what the Bible says about the cross, about blood and having to have a sacrifice. We, we don't find that fair. We don't find that right. So let me just slow this down a little bit and let's look at what it is that God actually did for all of us. See, we don't like the idea of an angry God. People say all the time, let's not stress about the anger and justice of God. Let's just stress about the love and goodness of God. But see, when people say that, that shows that they don't even know how the heart works. They don't even understand how the heart works because you cannot pit anger and justice against love and goodness because it's the love and goodness that makes you angry and want justice. See? Growing up, my mom was a heroin addict and I remember one time, I think I was 12, maybe 11, and I was in her hotel, hotel room and she was also a prostitute, so she had just gotten done doing what she does and uh, the guy left and she goes to strap up because she's about to muscle some heroin and she looks at me and she says, Roger, never do this. Roger, never do this. And it was in, it's in that moment, I can remember that, I just, I wanted so bad to just, to just shake her and just to yell at her, you know, and to just say, don't you, don't you get it? Don't you understand? To, uh, I was so angry 
right? I, I wanted y'all to say, don't you see what you're doing to yourself? Don't you see that you're becoming less and less of yourself every time, right? Don't you see what you're doing to people around you? Don't you see what you're doing to, to me? Do you, do you not see this? And, and I just remember this rage just coming up inside of me, right? Because real love stand, stands against deception, Real love stands against the lie, the sin that destroys. Anger and love are inseparably bound in experience. And if I, a flawed human being, can feel this much pain and, under, and anger towards someone's condition out of love, how much more than a morally perfect God who made each and every one of us? An author once wrote this, check this quote out. Anger isn't the opposite of love, hate is. And the final form of hate is indifference. The final form of hate is indifference. What this author means is this, is, is that the reason God is so angry at the sin and the evil is because it's destroying the human race that he loves and that he made. He's destroying the world that he loves and that he made. That's why he's angry. Because he's filled with so much love and goodness. And if he wasn't filled with love and goodness, then he wouldn't care. He'd be indifferent. He wouldn't care. Propitiation. Propitiation is the blood of Jesus Christ pays the debt for injustice. When someone wrongs you and wrongs you deeply, there are only two things that you can do to entail the suffering. If someone really want, wrongs you or really harms you, if they robbed you of something, if they robbed you of happiness or robbed you of, of, of your reputation or they robbed you of even money, right? They've wronged you. One thing that you can do is find a way to hurt them back. That's one thing you can do. You can get revenge. You can get them back, right? Sometimes that's a lot of fun, right? At least to start with. It takes a lot of ingenuity, and we have a lot of creative people here in the Bay Area, let me tell you, right? You can, find, you can find ways to hurt them, find ways to rob their happiness. You rob my happiness? Okay, I'm going to rob your happiness. You rob my reputation? Okay, I'm going to rob your reputation, right? And if they've hurt you and you hurt them back, right? Think about this. Then, then, then you begin to, to do to them as they've done to you. And next thing you know, you feel like, okay, we're even, we're even. You did it to me, now I did it to you. Only it's not. All you did was start a cycle. All you did was start a cycle. You say, well, you made me suffer, now I made you suffer. See, and there's a problem with that. Because if someone wrongs you, and you pay them back, and you make them suffer, evil wins. Evil wins. How? Well, first of all, because now you've become a harder person. Now you have changed. Now you've become a harder character. You've become somebody who doesn't trust people like you did. You're crueler. And now that you've done it once, you're okay to do it again and again and again, right? And pretty soon you go from being a, a, a Christian that is joyful and, and looks like you've been baptized in water to a Christian that is all mean, looks like you've been baptized in lemon juice, right? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And it changes you and it costs you. It costs you your joy and it costs you your character because evil wins. You say, okay, well then what do we do so evil doesn't win? What's the second option? You ready for option number two? We forgive. We forgive. We forgive. But what does that mean? What does that mean? 
that means we take on the debt. See, if somebody, if somebody were to steal my car, right, and if I were to forgive that person, then what have I done? I've, lo- I've taken on the debt of that car. I've now lost that car. I have now lost the value of that car in my life. And I have to go buy another car. I now take on that debt. I now suffer. I now bring it on. You see? Now, most of you are like, whew, I don't know, Pastor Roger. That's, uh, I've had people do more than just take cars from me. Right? Yeah. Think about it. And, 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 and that's, and, but, but listen, it's either that or we let evil win. And then we're changed. And, 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 and we, instead of being a soft-hearted person, we become a hard-hearted person. That's the only way to deal with it. The debt cannot be just willed away, right? If somebody does something against you, it's not just willed away. It's not just forgotten about. It's not, no, either you, for, you have to forgive them and so you just have to take it, swallow it, eat it up, brush your shoulders off, move on, stand up tall, be strong, go to the Lord. You know what I mean? Or you have to pay them back somehow, you know? But it's not just like, well, you know, that's how it is. And there's a debt owed to justice and, and you can't just will it away. Justice is owed something and it can only be paid through suffering. And God cannot just let sins go that are destroying the human race and destroying the world he loves. He can't just turn a blind eye to it. He can't. He loves us and he wants us to forgive us and he wants to forgive us. He, 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 he wants to make things right. So he goes to the cross. He pays the debt to his own justice. He satisfied his own justice. Propitiation. Some people say, well, all right, but I, I get what you're saying, but there's one thing I really hate. It's this idea of a blood sacrifice that God needs blood to be appeased, right? That's so primitive, Pastor Roger. That's so barbaric. That's horrible. That, that idea that God, you know, that, that needs this kind of blood to be appeased. Oh, thank goodness that kind of religion isn't around anymore. Thank goodness there isn't human sacrifices around anymore, right? But then here you have Paul bringing it back. And we think, wait a minute, how awful is this God who needs to be appeased this angry God who needs to be appeased by the death of his son. But see, you're forgetting something. You're forgetting that it says here that God presented himself. He presented himself. The Trinity boggles our mind. The the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are one, and it's just God, just one God in three persons. I know it boggles our mind, but right now it's a huge help because on the cross, it was God himself coming in the form of Jesus Christ and demanding not my blood, not your blood, not your child's blood, but shedding his own blood. People who have experienced abuse or rape or discrimination or genocide, they understand that the need of justice is real. They understand that, yes, there needs to be justice. It can't just be wished away. It can't be turned a blind eye. It can't just be blind says, oh, we'll just, you know, put it under the rug. No, anybody who's ever undergone those things knows that justice needs to be met. And let me tell you something. Justice was met on the cross. On the cross. Righteousness has to be restored for there to be peace. That propitiation can either accomplish with us in hell or Jesus on our place. Watch this, write this down. The cross was not just showing us God's love. 
He was taking the place of our punishment. That's why we say he didn't just die for you, but he died instead of you. He didn't just die for you, he died instead of you. He didn't just die for you, he died instead of you. And this is the opposite of barbarism. This is the opposite of paganism. The cross is not God murdering his own son, but Jesus says in the book of John, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down on my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down and I have the same authority to rise it up again. Jesus Christ volunteered himself to die on the cross. Jesus Christ was the appropriation of our sins. And as a result, you and I are redeemed. We're redeemed. Oh, but that's not all. That's not all. That's not all. There's one more thing we have to look at. One more very important word that actually gets repeated in this passage of, of this incredible atonement, the death of Jesus Christ, the redemption of Christ on the cross, the appropriation of Christ on the cross was a legal transaction, but it was also a public demonstration. It was also a public demonstration. Number three, what does it mean for us? Demonstration, demonstration. The word demonstration is used again and again, and it means a public presentation. And in other words, the cross was not designed simply to change our status, but to change our hearts. Not just to change our status through legal transaction, but to change our hearts by showing us who God really is. And who is he? He's both just and justifier to those who believe. Here's how we go about that. You want to have your heart changed? First of all, listen to this. In the Old Testament, the principle of a redeemer is there. And, and, and I talked about this at the beginning in Leviticus chapter 20, 20, uh, 25, 25, about this kinsman redeemer. And there's a great uh, example of this in the Old Testament in the book of Ruth. And so what happens in the book of Ruth, and the book of Ruth is heart-wrenching, but it's also heart uh, heartwarming. Ruth was a Moabite. She was not a Jew. She was not an Israelite. She lived in another country. And there was a Jewish family that was so sojourning in this country called Moab. And, the, and this mom had a couple of handsome young men like myself. Yeah. And um, I, that wasn't a joke, but thank you. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. And uh, my wife is the only one that shouts amen. Good. And, and, and there was these, and, and there was, these, she should be the only one. Yes. And so, and so listen, and so watch this. And so there was these two young men that were handsome and Ruth fell in love with one of them and married them. But then, but then a plague came and killed the father and killed both the sons and left Ruth and her mother-in-law, Naomi, and her other sister-in-law, widows. And so because of the family, they, they had to go back and they had to figure out what they're going to do. So they go back to their home country. Only problem is, is that's not Ruth's home country. And they don't know what to do because when you have, when, when you have a band of widows in a patriarchal society, um, you have absolute economic marginalization, which means that they were in danger of starving to death. And so they wouldn't starve to death. Ruth decided to go out and glean in a field. That's what poor people would do to get money is after they would come and they would begin to harvest and everyone else could come behind and begin to kind of pick up the scraps. 
And so that's what Ruth began to do. And as she was doing that, the man, this man named Boaz was going along the field, and he actually is the one that owns the field. He looks at Ruth and finds her beautiful and calls her, calls her out and says, who is that person? And then he, t- and then he, t- and then he, watch that. And then he tells uh, his employee, his employees, he said, make sure you leave extra bundles behind you for her to pick up. Mm-hmm. Extra bun. I mean, Ruth didn't even deserve that. Ruth didn't do anything to get that. But Boaz, just out of generosity and love, said, here's some extra. Right? And so then, and so then one night, uh, Ruth and, and Naomi are, are talking, and, and Naomi says, hey, listen, why don't you go to Boaz? And if you were at the prayer night on Tuesday night, you probably remember this story. But, but what would happen is when there was a big harvest, the person that owned the field would end up sleeping basically in the barn, uh, uh, and they would do this way of, of worshiping the Lord on, and praising him for the harvest. And so, and so Ruth found Boaz there, and so Ruth goes and, and, and just... And just lays right next to him and Boaz wakes up and says what is it that you want and she says nothing just your covering and so Boaz says here and covers her they end up getting married and he began and he became her kinsman redeemer redeemed her out of debt you say oh that's beautiful wish that happened to me it has it has. It has. Because Jesus Christ is the greatest kinsman redeemer. He is our redeemer. He is our redeemer. He is our redeemer. He redeemed us. But it didn't just cost him money. It cost him his life because our debt wasn't finite. Our debt was infinite. And so he bore it all on himself. As I get ready to close, I was reading the autobiography of Billy Graham recently, and in it, it tells about the fact that in 1955, he was invited to speak at Cambridge University to the students of Great St. Mary's Hall. And Billy Graham got up there and, uh, on that night, and he began from Genesis all the way through the entire Bible to talk about every single sacrifice in it, all of the blood sacrifices. He just pointed them all out. The blood was flowing all over that great hall, everywhere, horribly embarrassed by the crude proclamation of the blood of Jesus Christ. The, there were some professors there that were smug and, 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 and sophisticated and said, listen, no, no young sophisticated person is going to listen to any of this stuff. It was everything they disliked. It was everything they dreaded. But at the end of Billy Graham's sermon, to the shock of everyone, over 400 young men went to the front to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. At the end of it all, they went up. Do you see what that is? Do you see what it is? Now do you see that the cross is the hinge between the door of human history that swings? You see, it is the fulcrum of God's grand and glorious lever for thousands of years in the crafting. It is on the cross where the Canaan king hung on Calvary. It is the irrefutable evidence of the glowing holiness of God's immeasurable love. Do do you understand what it is that Jesus Christ has done for you? Do you see what it is and what it means to be a Christian? Being a Christian is not to say, I promise to try really hard. I'll try to live like Jesus. I'll try to come to church. I'll try to obey the Ten Commandments. No, that's not what Christianity is. 
That's not what it means to be a Christian. That's not what Christians say, but rather they say, Jesus, all I want is for you to spread your garment over me. All I want is to be redeemed and for you to be my redeemer. I can do nothing inside myself. All I need is you. And do you know what Jesus will say? Even though it'll cost him everything. You know what he'll say? He'll say, I will. He'll say, I will. And and he doesn't just pardon you. He doesn't just say, okay, you're forgiven, now go. He doesn't doesn't just cover your debt. Do you understand what he does? He doesn't just cover your debt and say, I'll pay for your debt. No, the Bible says he marries you. He adopts you. He unites with you. He takes all of us into his life and he comes into our life and all that he is and all that he has becomes ours, but not by our works, but by faith alone but by faith alone. Do you understand? You don't have to try to work and figure out, oh my gosh, you know, what do I have to do? And, and, and how do I become better? And, and, and what about this? And, and, and listen, your nights are filled with anxiety. Oh, if your pillow could talk the tears that flow down from the stress and the heartbreak. But Jesus Christ is a place where he says, listen, I've done it for you. The cross and the blood is a place where he says it's been done, it's been paid. But more than that, now we are one. We are one. We are one. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light. It was there that the the burden of my heart was rolled away. It was there by faith that I received my sight. And now I'm happy all the day. It was there by faith that I received my sight and now I am happy all the day. I am happy all the day. When I get the job, I am happy. If I don't get the job, I'm happy. It's okay, it's okay. When I go to the doctors and I'm healthy, I'm good. If the doctor gives me a bad report, I'm still good because I am redeemed by the blood of the lamb. It's okay when my kids are acting right and they're good and everything's wonderful, I'm good too. But when my kids are acting a fool and acting crazy and they act like they don't know what they're doing, listen, I'm okay, it's okay. I'm gonna be okay, not because I did anything, but because he did everything. You see what I'm saying? And Jesus became that. On the cross, Jesus became the greatest sinner. On the cross, he became David, the one who who, who went and had an affair with Bathsheba. Jesus became that for him. On the cross, Jesus became Saul, who was murdering and torturing Christians. He became that. On the cross, Jesus becomes the teenage girl that doesn't want to tell her parents she had an abortion. On the cross, Jesus becomes the drug addict. On the cross, he becomes the murderer of murderers. On the cross, he becomes the one that that goes and, and, and is the worst wife beater ever. He's on the cross. He takes the sin and he becomes that sin and he sheds his blood for all of us, for all of us, for all of us. It was there by faith I received my sight. And oh, don't you want to be happy all the day? You can be. You can be. As we 
stand to our feet and we get ready to just respond and worship. If there are some of you here this morning, and I know there are, I can see it. I can see tears rolling down the faces of several people. I could see others that are just intently listening. I could see some that, that, that are just closing their eyes while I was preaching and, and, and just taking it in. If you're here this morning and you say, Pastor Roger, I want to be happy all the day. I, I want to understand what the blood of Jesus did for me. I, I, wa I want to be able to, to stop feeling the anxiety of life and always feeling like I have to prove myself and feeling like I'm, I'm, I'm never worthy enough and, and feeling like I'm always competing with the next person next to me and competing with my neighbor and competing with my coworker and I'm always having to do, and I just want to just be happy in Jesus. Doesn't mean that circumstances aren't gonna come. No, you're still gonna go through those. It doesn't mean that he's not gonna allow you to go through fire and flood. You will, but you'll come out. You'll come out happy all the day. And if you're here and you say, I need a kinsman redeemer, guess what? There is one. His name is Jesus. And all you have to do is just begin in your heart and just open your heart up and just begin to just within your consciousness, begin to just tell Jesus Christ, say, God, I, I'm so sorry, I repent for trying to do this on my own. I repent for trying to get peace on my own and trying to get happiness on my own and trying to get success on my own and, and being driven by these false masters and being a slave to guilt and to shame. And I'm sorry for that, Lord. And I recognize now that it's only you, only in you, only having faith in what you did on the cross, that it is only in you that I can be redeemed, that I can be saved. Thank you for joining us for this week's Inspired Churches podcast. Don't forget to share or subscribe to join us every Sunday. You can keep up with Inspired Churches through Instagram at Inspired Churches or on Facebook at facebook.com slash Inspired Churches. To support the ministry, you can click on the link in the description or visit us at inspiredchurches.com for more information.